Eduardo, I know you've been in it for so long and everybody who has ever studied teams in the past half century has probably read your papers. But my question is that, why is that so important to understand and study how teams work? Is there something magical about that particular human structure? Is that something unique about it? It's an interesting social phenomenon, right? So in general, all of us are prone to coordinate, to communicate, to you know, interface with others. And sometimes we do it because we have to, and sometimes we do it because we like it. Sometimes we do it because we are in a context that kind of channels us to do that, those kind of things. So over the years, I've learned to um, appreciate collaboration and coordination, communication. I would say about 90% of the professionals out there are team sports. They're teams. We collaborate in healthcare, in aviation, in the military, in science, in universities now. And so trying to understand this phenomena, it's been an interesting journey for me. And as you know, Team science has a long history, you know, maybe a hundred years, depends how you count it. So it's intriguing. And despite a hundred years of science, we're still uncovering new things. We're still discovering new things. And we have new phenomena, new challenges, like teams of teams that what the Karen just described. And so, you know, that's what makes this feel intriguing, keeps us young because there are new things coming up and we don't have a prescription. This would have been a short podcast if we had a prescription, but we don't. And it's complex and it's uh, dynamic and murk, you know, and it's, it has all kinds of complications. So, yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon that needs lots of science. And that's what makes it interesting. I liked your use of the word magical in talking about teams because I think they're magical. And I'll tell you why. So when I was in graduate school, I remember very distinctly when I first realized that there are concepts that only exist in a team, things that don't exist at the individual level. And, you know, an easy one to talk about is cohesion. Cohesion is something that you can't experience on your own. It truly is something that only exists if you have a group of people that are working together or learning together, or whatever their activity is. And I remember that being an aha moment for me, that there's this whole world of concepts that didn't exist at the individual level. They only exist at that group level. And I always found that really exciting. Yes. We're talking about aha moments, Scott. I always learn from you because you always have very vivid examples, basically, of uh, your mind, which is oriented towards observation of naturalistic or teams in the wild, so to speak, and you superimpose your academic professorial model on it in order to understand really what's inside. I appreciate that in the book, the Teams at Work book that you just published with Eduardo, you bring several examples. In particular, I appreciate in chapter two that you bring the Red Sox team, even though you're, for the benefit of our listeners, from New York. And a New Yorker appreciating the Red Sox is really a treat. My family and doesn't feel that way, just for the record. They don't think it's a treat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you've observed and you work with elite corporate teams, I know about your history in leading Go. Did you have some time an aha moment in which your own models of teams and theory of teams just by observing something in the wild was enriched by what you were observing, either in sports or in the corporate environment. 
Yeah, I think, you know, there's probably several of them over time, but one that comes to mind was when we were doing work with a global banking institution. And in particular, the focus was on investment banking teams. And what was interesting about this, and, and actually it's work that Ed was involved in as well, is we were brought in because investment analysts at this level, this is a very well-paid profession. These are folks that provide advice that is used to decide whether you're going to purchase another company or not, acquire stock, et cetera. So, you know, very, very big business decisions. And they had kind of, I would describe them as hypotheses, right? The leaders there had hypotheses about what really mattered here. And they wanted to know if they were right. So uh, we went in and started watching these teams of investment analysts. You know, we watched them when the stock market opened at the crack of dawn, responding to the bell. We watched them working. And we had the chance to use other techniques like survey and a lot of interviews of team members, of team leaders, of people that interacted with the teams. And what was interesting is going into this, the leaders had this hypothesis that what you really need is a star investment analyst. You need like the Red Sox need a star center fielder, for example, right? So that was the logic. And that if you just simply put like a supporting cast around them a bit and they didn't get in the way too much, you know, it's all about making the star successful. What happened was, is that there was this natural experiment that occurred because over time, about half their teams were structured that way. And the other half of their teams had really formed more as a true team, you know, where they were collaborating together. They had a team leader, but it wasn't all about the team leader. And we had the chance to take a look analytically at what was going on there. And because this was a financial institution, they had tons of actual data, financial data, performance data, et cetera. And what was really interesting in this case is it was the exact opposite of what they expected. Right? The teams that were all about the star underperformed. And the teams that were really operating in a collaborative way where the teamwork mattered outperformed them in some ways. So one of the reasons this was an aha moment for me is because, first of all, I think it reinforced what I had been believing up until that time, that teamwork does make a difference. It showed that in this case, a targeted research study could help, right? Because it helped unpack the truth from kind of the myths that existed there. And it also reinforced to me that leaders don't always know what they're supposed to do when it comes to teams, all right? So they're responding with their guts, and sometimes their gut, gut isn't right. And in this case, the data showed really what was needed. That's a wonderful example where... Data matters. What you see on the surface, that's part of the magic of teams too, that they work sometime under the surface. And what you see on the surface is not always diagnostic of really what is actually happening. I would say almost every time in my career that I've seen an individual do something that was really outstanding in an organizational setting, there were people who supported that person that enabled it to happen. That sometimes it's invisible to the organization, but if you look carefully, it was a team phenomenon, even though it looked like an individual phenomenon. Yes. Yes, I like your example. Just about that point, again, at the end of chapter two, I won't tell the audience, they need to buy the book in order to find out why you were right. What looks sometimes like a superstar performance is actually the result of a lot of complex team interactions. So let me share one aha moment for me early on in my career. It had to do with uh, also with Terry and Scott. So going back to the story that my job with the Navy in the mid-80s was to develop a team performance lab, I attempted to do two things. One, the state of the science. So that's what we began. We attempted to do this meta-analysis. But the second thing I did was I spent six months traveling around Navy naval bases, looking at teams, observing teams, all kinds, surface teams, subsurface teams, aviation teams. And after that tour... I remember having this discussion with Terry and maybe Scott was there. And I said, you know, 
I get the impression that all teams are not created equal. All the teams that I have observed are somewhat different. And I couldn't put my head around that. That's kind of thing. And in the discussion I had with Terry and Bob McIntyre, who was another professor there, I don't know if this is a direct quote or something, but the aha moment was that Terry said, it's all about the task interdependency. And that's when, for now, 40 years or so that I've been doing this, to me, that was an aha moment. Of course, the task interdependency drives the kind of teamwork you're going to have, the kind of team performance you need to engage in, the kind of behaviors, the kind of cognitions. And so to me, that's something that I've been carrying in my head for all these years. And I make a point to always try to understand the task interdependency that is embedded in the kind of team that I'm looking at. That's very good. So what you're saying, in fact, is that the work that stimulates the team in and by itself has in it a structure that will provoke certain behaviors in the team. So if you want to understand a team, you shouldn't look just inside. You also have to look on the outside of the team to truly understand how that team works. Is that right? Yeah. And so, again, or things that I've learned on, so I think Scott and Karen will agree. I mean, task interdependency, and we make a point this in the book, why it's important is because it basically outlines what kind of competencies you need, what kind of competencies matter, depending where you are in this continuum of interdependency. And I think that's been one of the best, I won't say aha, but one of the best insights we've had collectively, you know, to study teams. And that has driven a lot of good practice. So what do you do when you have low interdependence versus what do you do when you have high interdependence? Yes. I see you nodding, Cara. Do you agree with Eduardo? Because my next question for all of you was, okay, so the audience understand a bunch of variables and a bunch of complexity that are associated with teamwork and human teams. But what is a team? How do we define a team? And is that just a group of people who are working on things that have interdependence? Is there more than that? Actually, one of the most cited papers that I have is about the definition of a team that we Mm -hmm. published in 1992, I think, I believe it was. Wow. Uh, And, you know, it's interesting. This discussion makes me connect all the dots. Uh, It's amazing. So, again, why we have to define a definition of teams? So we're doing this meta-analysis. We're observing all these teams in the Navy. We now know that there are differences among them, among the things all teams are not created equal. And then we said, you know, if all teams are not created equal, the kind of research that we want to do cannot generalize to everybody, to all those teams we need to focus. And so the definition, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, the definition came as a result of trying to put boundaries around the kind of team that we're going to look at. And that's what we did. So it's two people, two or more, they have shared goals, they are interdependent, and so on. And so that's how that definition came. So what's interesting is how, for me, how that's morphed over time. So, you know, my recollection is the same as Ed. You know, we, we needed to draw kind of a box around what we were going to study. And so formal definition. But what's happened over time through kind of practical experiences is that not all teams particularly in organizational settings, are this neat cluster of reporting relationships and boxes with a tight boundary around it and defined roles, et cetera. It's just become mushier, right? And more dynamic. And so to me, a team is still more than one person. And I would say they have at least some interdependency and some shared goals, but it doesn't mean that they're completely shared goals. In fact, I think most teams in organizational settings, this combinations of pulls and pushes of sharedness 
but also individual needs. You know, we see this in senior leadership teams all the time. They have a shared need for the company, but the head of finance also has their own needs that's different than the chief technology officer. I think it's a little bit mushier. And of course, there's now also kind of the concept of teams of teams that pops up. 